0: Which I don't see happening. Um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three piece towel set and save over forty percent off. Again, that's TryMiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. This is a Headgum podcast.
1: Fake the Nation, episode 309.
0: Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about culture, and where we grab the babies and the toddlers, and where we ready their fat little arms for what could be FDA authorization on a vaccine. Pew, 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 pew. I'm your host, Nageen Farsad, and after the little kids get the vaccine, there will be a nationwide run on ice cream, because that's the level of bribe involved with a trip to the doctor that looks like that. You know what I mean? Today, we're going to talk about the January 6th committee here. We'll talk about a crazy story involving HPV and Geico, and finally, we'll consider the assertion that everyone marries the wrong person. I am so excited by today's panel. I mean, first of all, I get to hang out with one of my good buds, uh, uh, a New Yorker through and through, who is now living in Los Angeles, but we just we like to disregard that aspect. Uh, you've seen her on Colbert, just doing stand-up comedy at just the upper-crust top levels of comedy. She's so good. She's also the co-host of Were You Raised by Wolves, a podcast that you probably have already subscribed to because you're already such a huge fan
2: of Leah Bonema. Hey, Leah. Oh, my goodness, Nagin. Pleasure to be here, and I'm blushing. I'm over here blushing. <laughs>
0: That is the aim. That's the aim. (laughs) Um, But you know who I'm also really excited about, Leah, because this is the first time for this gentleman on this podcast. And, you know... And you always
1: remember the first time.
0: uh, You know... (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, We'll be gentle. Uh, We have with us the National Affairs Correspondent for The Nation magazine, host of the Weekly Nation podcast, The Time of Monsters. He's obviously ridiculously smart. I happen to have read a piece by him before I even knew that he was the guy that was going to be on this podcast because it's just like I read his work. It is the one and only Jeet here. Hey, Jeet. Good to be here. So before we get into the show, I do want to remind people about the Wonder that is a Patreon membership. For as little as $1 a month, you can support the show. For as little as $4 a month, you get freebies like bonus episodes of Fake the Nation. There are higher tiers where you get original pieces. You get the official Fake the Nation. We're only doing Optimism t-shirt. The official Fake the Nation mug. The latest bonus episode was with Alzo Slade and Sina Ghaznavi, And we talked about debate in college, which, of course, resulted in some ridiculous admissions about our own younger selves. The next episode is with Jody Avrigan, Liz Winstead. And we talk about where you hide. like as in if you're escaping the law, but also just escaping the day. The bonus episodes (laughs) are so fun and um, they're just, they have like a wacky energy, Uh, Leah. I think you can probably agree to the wackiness of the bonus eps. So go to patreon.com slash naginfarsad.com To join the Patreon, I'd love to have you. Now let us get into it with topic number one. So at this point in the process, we have had two days of uh, January 6th committee hearings. The first was in prime time with... Honestly, off the charts ratings. A lot of people tuned in. Day two was a workday hearing on Monday. Um, I uh, have some largely positive thoughts on just how this is being orchestrated, literally like on a, just like on a production and storytelling level. But before I say anything more and just color your perceptions, I want to hear your thoughts on how it's all going. And gee, you're actually in the business of journalisming. Um, so I'm going to, like, you give us your esteemed opinion, and then me and Leah will round out the dumb comedian takes. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Okay. Uh, well, I mean, no, I, I totally agree that uh, uh, it's a very well-orchestrated thing. And in fact, uh, surprising for a hearing. It shows kind of how seriously they take it. Because unfortunately, with like congressional hearings, you get usually like 10 to 15 showboats who are all like trying to grab the microphone and get in each other's way. And it's a big mess, and it's hard to understand what the hell is going on. And this is not... Um, what's happening here. And like all credit to Benny Thompson, uh, the chair of the committee, he's kind of, um, I think taking the kind of a law and order approach, like you're going to like lay out the case and he's like herded all the members of the committee so that each one, you know, presents their thing. And it's a very sort of compelling narrative, um, that's very narrowly focused on the sort of the guilt of Trump and his cronies. Uh, And that might be a sort of a little problem. I've I've written about this a little bit, but um, inside the committee, to get the two Republicans who are on the committee on board, uh, Liz Cheney and um, Adam Kissinger, they had to kind of say, like, we're not going to go hard on the Republican Party as a whole. They kind of agreed not to go after Ginny Thomas, even though she's, like, you know, up to her neck in this uh, but, oh, but the yeah. idea, the idea is you want to get Trump and you want to lay out a case that you can get buy-in from some republicans at least i mean i think that's a kind of Utopian hope almost, but that's the, that's the plan. And you can kind of see the plan being laid out. And yeah, they do make a very compelling case with a lot of like new evidence. I think the big news is um, Ivanka kind of, you know, throwing daddy under the bus. Uh, that <laughs> the was a is-
0: stunner of a moment, right? She basically, they asked her, like, what did you think of like Bill Barr saying that, you know, this was a ridiculous, um, these claims were ridic- ridiculous. And she was like, yeah, I respect Bill Barr like you know she basically said yeah like I agreed we did we had lost the election in so many words um so that was a stunner of a moment Leah did you were there other moments that were like stunning to you
2: I I agree they set it up so well I loved that um Chairman Thompson like set it up explained it explained a little bit about himself you know what I mean it was very like that was
0: nice that was lovely
2: and then we get He's from oh,
0: Mississippi and all the, you know, the, we get the his, history. His oh, history was, nice.
2: was very nice. And then we get a video. You know what I mean? You're like, here's videos. Here's videos. And they lay out their case. I think it was structured so well, as everybody's saying. For me, um, and I'm so embarrassed. I, I you know, I, Frantically wrote notes watching all of it. And now, of course, mm-hmm. I can't read any of it because I yes, got so emotionally yes. riled up. And I'm so embarrassed that I'm Leah really uh, notoriously has terrible handwriting. Yes. It's, uh, I look like a serial killer. But yeah, the, the woman who was the um, Capitol Hill police officer, I'm forgetting mm-hmm. her name. I'm so right. embarrassed. And when she told her story and talked about being going, getting knocked out and the Proud Boys pushing through and then. Yeah. I don't know if you saw her friend that was sitting behind her touch her back.
0: Yeah, I. Yeah, it, it was really, very moving. It was
2: so moving. It was so human. It was so like a person who believes in our country and supports it with their, you know what I mean. Getting showing they're putting their body on the line, and then they got knocked out. And you know, it's. I really feel like it spoke to not just. And um, I think, by the way,
0: you're talking about Caroline Edwards. The, Maybe the who described it as a war scene. Is yes. It, or is that? Yeah.
2: Yes. It's on here somewhere. But, I, you know, I, I have a lot of just swear words at um, <laughs> some of the Trump administration. I just felt like it really added the human component. Yeah. It's yeah. not just um, treason to the government. It's human loss. It's the fear like that they had they held the line long enough. To get all the people out of their chamber and into their offices because God knows what would happen if Nancy Pelosi was, you know, not moved away.
0: Was- and, but then couldn't hold the line long enough for their own safety and, yes. and for the loss of life that they experienced. So it's it, like that part of it was like really you know, difficult to watch and, like, really moving. Um, and then I think there, there was something uh, that I think was on day two was the whole team normal situation. That was uh, interesting because... So it was, like, uh, Steppian who called himself a member of Team Normal, who would who was running his campaign. And so there was like a group of them who called themselves Team Normal, but who incidentally were huge Trump, you know, m- members of the inner circle. You know what I mean? So it was like, I mean, you're Team Normal by like the slightest margin <laughs> in human history, but OK. Uh, well, but I, it was like, yeah, finish. yeah, but that's, that's
1: I mean, The Team Normal thing. I mean- I think the way I conceptualize this is like imagine if this is a mafia trial mm-hmm. and you have, you know, Don Corleone, like you want to get him. And the only way you can get Don Corleone is to get people who are like really unsavory characters, who are the ones who know. You know right, the people right, who are true, like the hitmen, the, the the goons, uh, the capos, and these are all people who have like blood on their hands, have done terrible things, but you need them to like roll over. And usually like in a mafia trial, you kind of like unfortunately make a deal with the devil and you kind of let these people you know you put them in witness protection let them like get off some crimes and this is what we're seeing now we sound like Bill Barr I mean Barr was like in the thick of things he is you know he is like um, the uh, he's like the you know the mob yeah. lawyer who's been totally involved with this but now he's like in a rehabilitation tour well I, I was shocked and I I, I told Trump <laughs> you know Trump <laughs> lost uh, somehow become un- unhinged you know and, like uh, like, somehow
0: at that point had become unhinged, not when you first took the job or the years before you took the job. It was like at that point he had become unhinged. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah, Bill yeah. Or Barr, when You
1: also yes. like uh, obstruct justice in the Mueller investigation. Yeah, you know, so, so I mean, like, exactly as with a mob case, you're going to, uh, I think the committee has had to make some, you know, uh, deals with like some unsavory characters, uh, but but that that is the kind of the the drama, and it is like it's a bit a little bit rich. It is like the you know the ma- mafia assassin saying, "Well, I do not actually know the Godfather did all that,"
0: right? Like I was fine with a few murders, but like then they went overboard, right? It's a little bit like um, the 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 other thing that I thought. Oh, so there, there was Team Normal and then Team Rudy, I guess, which is like because. Rudy Giuliani um held down the other side that was like no the elections were stolen and I'm drunk or whatever apparently he was really drunk on election night and maybe he's drunk a lot nights I don't know um again that's just a specious claim never mind but I really thought they put the pieces together of this really well and apparently will continue to be doing so but the the Trump team raised 250 million dollars to supposedly like stop the steal or whatever um Based on the big lie they raised, I mean, that's a quarter of a billion dollars. It's a lot of money. And the committee said that most of the money went to the Save America PAC, which is a major Trump-supporting political action committee, the Trump hotel chain, a foundation affiliated with Trump and Mark Meadows, his his campaign advisor. You know, people like um, Kimberly Guilfoyle got $60,000 to do a two-minute introduction on January 6th. Like, there's a lot of money Questionable money that, that's in here and p- potentially $250 million. There was just a, a complete in which, um, you know, uh, supporters of um, small donor supporters of the campaign were defrauded of that money. Uh, what you, do you think about that? aspect?
2: I was shocked that it was $250 million And then yeah, so that's a, much. so much money. Oh um, my God. And then that they, the, I love that it was the official uh, election defense fund. And then they were like, there is no official election defense fund. Like they just lined it up so hot. And then they're like, here's where this money went. And a lot of it was to his, um, you know, his show. He's like, hey, I'm going to put this into my performing. I think 250,000 went into his hotels.
0: Right. And that, look, I understand you uh, like, is a comedian. Sometimes we do shows, and they'll just like name it something for marketing purposes, but it's like not like a real show. You know what I mean? It's really still just a lineup of comedians, but they'll call it like you know, you know, hot comics of the lower east side or whatever. That's like what they were doing, except for when we do it, it's like ten dollar tickets and a capacity of like you know fifty people, and when they did it, it was two hundred and fifty million dollars. You know. Uh, And also when comedians do it, it generally doesn't hurt anyone except for the, you know, some of the bad punchlines. But like it was so it's remarkable how easy it was to just say whatever and then raise that much money. I'm I'm still shocked. And Jeet, you talked about in The Nation that basically there's a lot of evidence that's coming out because of these hearings of, of stuff that just deserves to be there deserves to be punishment for it. I mean, what do you think should happen as a result of these hearings?
1: Well, that's the, the other way to I've thought about the hearings. Like, to go back to the criminal analogy, this is kind of like the grand jury. Uh, and this is like, they're presenting the case. And I think there's an audience, like, we're all watching it. And as you said, it's getting good ratings. But there's really an audience of one person that it's really aimed at, which is Merrick Garland. And it, I, I see the hearings as pre- laying out the case for why Trump and a few of the people around him should be uh, prosecuted. Uh, I think some of the revelations for me, um, you know, a lot of it is like putting together stuff that we've already known in a coherent narrative. But the real revelation is about the, the involvement of the members of Congress in terms of like um, uh, doing the groundwork uh, and the reconnaissance for the Capitol attack. And we're seeing some of that even this morning. With this guy, Loudermilk, who like, you know, took people on Capitol, uh, tour of the Capitol. But, you know, it's not like the, the, the main part of the building. He, they were somehow going into like, oh, here's where the security cameras are. Here's where the exits are. And like, it's, it's uh, unless you're very naive, you have to realize that there's something suspicious if a congressman is showing people, you know, like um, the innards of the Capitol building that you need to know if you want to attack it. <laughs>
0: Right, right. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, Leah, do you think the American public has the appetite to stomach an actual Justice Department case against Trump, whether it's, you know, conspiracy to defraud or, you know, um, one of the various uh, one of the various counts that that would like kind of thrust the nation into a bunch of stuff?
2: Not only do I think we can stomach it, like, I think we want it. I think it's important that people pay for this. So it's not like, oh, they just got a slap on the wrist and they walked away. I I loved how you compared it to the mob trials. I just watched The Lost Boys. And so I just kept feeling like we just got to get the head off the top vampire. And then ideally... (sighs) um the rest will fall and i it's it's you know when you watch it and it's so angry and then i was also shocked that his supporters were getting 25 emails a day like these people are just getting emails saying we've been cheated we've been cheated the comp you know the country's against us this isn't fair they're so riled up um and and there's a loss of life like somebody they have to be held responsible to this um so i i am all for a prosecution trial i'm ready I got my popcorn. I'm going (laughs) to sit on this couch.
0: (laughs) All right. Well, let us... um... Move on, folks. Let me know. Are you ready for a prosecution trial? Are you watching these hearings? Are you one of the people that is giving it good ratings? (laughs) Not that ratings matter. I feel like, I mean, they do. They don't. I don't know. Um, But it it, it grosses me out to mention ratings because Trump always used to mention ratings. But anyways, let me know. Where are you at with these uh, hearings? I'm so curious to hear from you. Uh, Let's take a quick
3: break to hear about our sponsors. And when
0: we come back, we'll talk about other stuff off Are back and uh, we are ready for topic number one point five. We didn't really plan on talking about this, but I did want to mention very quickly that there is a bipartisan bill on gun control that ten Republicans have sort of talked about supporting. They they worked with other with Democrats to put these together. If the if they all come through, that would meet the sixty vote threshold um, to overcome a filibuster. The bill helps ensure and ensure that. Uh, the mentally ill or dangerous criminals can't purchase weapons. There's funding to help states implement uh, crisis intervention and uh, orders and re- like the, the what they call red flag laws. Um, there's billions in funding for mental health and school safety. They want to close the boyfriend loophole. Uh, they want to stop gun trafficking and and straw purchasing. They want enhanced background checks. For people under 21, um, so they don't want to stop gun purchasing under 21, but they do want stronger background checks and a pause to conduct the check so young buyers can't buy a gun on a whim. They want they want clarification of the laws um, on who needs to register as a gun licensed gun dealer to make sure you know commercial sellers are all doing background checks. Uh, this sounds, I mean, look, obviously it's not everything we could be doing. But it's a bunch of stuff. Uh, Jeet, what do you think?
1: It is a bunch of stuff, and I think that it's good to do something... Just to like get momentum and to show you can do something, and you know to build up uh, alliances for future stuff. Having said that, I mean the filibuster remains a problem, and like just this morning, uh, one of the Republican congressmen, uh, John Cornyn, uh, said that he wasn't actually fully on board on the red flag laws and the uh, the boyfriend loophole, uh, which, which I actually like. I mean it's so disgusting because the um, the boyfriend loophole stuff. I mean that was yeah. in the violence. against women act which was like allowed to lapse and it would just it's just like the bare minimum you can do the bare minimum it i I, I do i I
0: do i don't understand do you do you know what is the reasoning behind not supporting the the um that closing that loophole
1: um i i don't know i can't even begin to think of the, the logic of that
0: yeah i it's just
1: baffling i mean we'll see if this you know, this bipartisan deal actually goes through, because from what Cornyn is saying this morning, he's saying, like, unless those two things are, like, modified or, you know, um, uh, reduced even further, he's not on board, which means it can be filibustered. And so my larger political point is, yeah, yeah, let's try to pass whatever you can here. But the only way you're actually going to get anything substantial done is under two conditions. One is you have, like, you know, a Democratic majority that can break the filibuster. So you need 52, 53 Democrats, and a majority of them willing to do the filibuster, and you have to break the filibuster. That's the only way. Like, I think this whole operation of getting Republicans on board, you can get something, but it's not a lot. And it's even now in the process of being stripped down.
0: I do think even if we're just left with, like, enhanced background checks for people under 21 and stuff like that, like, That's a bit, that's something because the age range of the people who do these shooting, these particular types of mass shootings is that under 21 age group. So it's kind of like that does maybe address some of that problem. Yeah, no, absolutely.
1: These are, these are substantial things that do do some good uh but i mean i i think the two-part message has to be you have to do what you can now and then you have to like try to build and then you the have program. to get also
0: get rid of the filibuster and it's just the step one it's just step one there's got to be more steps leah how do you feel
2: i well i find it so telling that you would say or ask, what is the reasoning behind not wanting these to go through? And I feel like that's how we all feel about the whole thing. You know what I mean? You're right. like, what is <laughs> yeah, the reasoning what, what that you would want these you're
0: things? Like, you're like, wait, so just because a guy beat his wife doesn't mean he's going to be mean to other people. Like, is that <laughs> the argument? I don't understand. It's, it's so, so bizarre. Just
2: because somebody goes on the internet and says they want to kill people doesn't mean I should be able to not sell them a gun that day. I mean, oh, my goodness. I couldn't, I, nobody could see that coming just because they told people on the internet and wrote a whole book. (laughs) Just
0: because, yeah, they were very loud about it. Um, all right. Well, folks, we're going to keep our eyes on this. Obviously it's a moving thing. I didn't really even want to talk about it today because it's like, who knows where this is going to end up, but, but that's happening. And what I do want for people of Faith the Nation to do, the 10 senators that you can maybe give a like a little call to, you know, on a phone, maybe you send a little supportive email. Um, those Republican senators are John Cornyn, Tom Tillis, Roy Blunt, Rob Portman, Richard Burr, Mitt Romney, Bill Cassidy, Susan Collins, Lindsey Graham, and Pat Toomey. These, uh, these dudes need like just words of support to do the right thing which is not even all that they could be doing which is just only some of that what the little bit that they could be doing they should be encouraged to do that um, so I don't know get in touch call your senators also obviously call your your senators but um, I think if you listen to the show you you may have a senator that's gonna do it although we do have a lot of listeners in Texas and stuff so you know get call you just call do everyone call everyone let's just do that all right let's move on to official topic number two, um, okay, a lady who the Missouri court is calling Mo claimed she caught HPV from having sex with her then boyfriend in his car, um, and then last week the Missouri Court of Appeals upheld a judgment that basically awarded her this huge settlement to be paid by Geico who insured the car, um, which I know leaves so many people be like, oh my God, I've had so much backseat sex and I didn't, you know, how many, you know, how many STDs are out there from backseat sex that people could have sued and gotten a settlement from a car insurance company. I, I mean, untold Millions, so I don't know what is just like. What was your initial um, reaction to this case? I think my initial
2: action uh, was what, and then (laughs) totally. And then when I read the article, it seems to me that they awarded that because Geico refused to uh, hear the claim the first time. Is that was that your take on the
0: article? Well, she asked for a settlement from Geico for I think one million dollars. And, uh, and then they were like, no, no. And then so because they said no, then they went into arbit her and the dude went into arbitration. And then the the arbit, you know, the court, the arbitration judge basically sided uh, with her, which, again, it's like wild.
2: I would have come in fairly differently on this, or maybe I would have about two weeks ago, but I recently had the most egregious back and forth with my car insurance company where I was like, oh, (laughs) you are criminals. You're criminals? And- I won't I won't slander the name of who they were but there are very upper uh, you know commercials all over the all over the world in uh, car insurance company straight up criminals and I had to get on the phone with so many people hours and hours and days and basically they are they're liars. And um, I'm like, take their money. And uh, (laughs) HPV is uh, rough on women and it's everywhere. And I can't think of a better place for the money to go. So, you know, what? To just
0: one lady to just one lady who has HPV, who will use it to live a really nice life.
2: Hopefully she'll spread it around to all of her friends who also have HPV. You know what I mean? Maybe she'll give it to some centers who help people with
0: HPV. According to the CDC, more than 42 million Americans are currently infected with HBV and then 13 million Americans, including teens, become infected each year. It's extremely common. OK, you, what did you think? Well, of the- I,
1: well first of all, story. I have to sell my stocks in Geico because they're going to go. <laughs> uh, these, the second point is, I mean, no, no, I think the uh, what Leah just said is exactly on point. You know, like insurance companies often don't give you money for things that are legitimate, right? Yes, you know, no, if, that's but true. They do not. So I I feel like there's a robin hood situation and i can almost imagine because it, it's it was a judge right it, like who kind of decided this that the you know maybe the judge had been screwed over by like an insurance company <laughs> by geico baby and thought like you know like this is robin hood time this is like you know there's no real justice right, Just rob right. from the rich uh give to the poor um and actually more seriously like you know you in jury cases, you see this more uh, often. Like, oftentimes, juries do award a lot of people um, a lot of money, and it's usually uh, because people don't like insurance companies. And so I say, I, I, I'm honestly wondering, like, the, I think Leah might have hit on the, the inner logic that uh, <laughs> explains this otherwise baffling story.
0: The other thing that was uh, fun to me about it was that the, um, the act occurred in a hyundai genesis and (laughs) i uh i just feel like that's worth noting i in fact don't like i like listeners know like don't know the difference between cars or whatever like so to me a hyundai genesis is like the same as a jaguar like i really don't see the difference but um so but like in my mind, a Hyundai Genesis is a rather uncomfortable car to, like, do a banging in the back, um, you know? But, uh, well, I mean, just congratulations on that aspect. I, be, I believe there's a lot of flexibility involved in what happened. Um, but I just, do you feel like this might just open shit up for, like, all kinds of crazy suits? Because part of it is, too, she she was awarded the, the money for mental and physical pain and suffering— I mean, I've had mental suffering because of what has happened in the back seats of cars. You know what I mean?
1: Well, this is like I said, I don't offer stock advice to other people. I'm just going to make sure there's no Geico in my portfolio because they're going to be if this is the precedent, they're going to be in for a world of hurt.
2: I mean, maybe they could just start paying the claims they owe. Do you know what I, mean? I mean? Right.
0: Maybe they just start being legitimately uh, like good at well their uh, actual noted job, like of uh, just listening to people's claims. Determine. It is, I mean, I don't have a car, so I don't deal with this, but I do have other forms of insurance. And I know, you know, everyone's goal in life is to never have to call their insurance company, right? That you just keep paying this thing that you hope to never use, because when you do use it, you know, it's going to mean hours and hours and days of phone calls and, and fighting because they don't pay stuff. So, um, that, Part of the system is rigged.
2: Well, (laughs) and car insurance is extra because um, you already pay a lot of money to a car insurance. And then if you ever have to use it, they raise your rates. So you're like, what was I pay? I would be better off just paying. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I can't. I can. I have to have insurance. So they're they're legit criminals, which is why back to the first thing. I hope people start getting prosecuted. We start at the top. We work our way down to the bottom
0: Um,
2: (laughs) and we end up with the man at my insurance company. That's where we end. No names.
0: All right, um, folks, uh, where are you? Do you feel like this was a, a Robin Hood situation um, that where millions of dollars are being funneled through one lady with HPV? All right. Uh, <laughs> let us move on to topic number three, which is about marriage. And before I like fully get into it, <laughs> I want to point out, last week we talked about the HER-DEP trial. Uh, it's interesting. I've, I've gotten a few messages from people that were really upset that I sounded pro herd. Um, I want to just clarify for the record. I I do think I maybe like said more things about her just because it seemed like the coverage was so weighed against her. So I kind of was trying to like counterbalance that maybe just a tiny bit in my, my small, small corner of the podcasting world. Uh, but I am neither pro dep nor pro herd. I am anti that judge that let cameras into the courtroom. So just so we're clear, I don't actually... I think they're both probably terrible. Uh, and so um, <laughs> that's my main position is everyone sucks involved in this situation. Everyone sucks, including the judge who let cameras in there. I mean, they you know, that judge may be like really nice in their regular life or whatever. But in this one situation, terrible, terrible, terrible choice. Uh, because it put everyone in the grips of a national globally covered um, trial that we're now wounded from for no reason. Like, why did we have to get into this one thing? Okay, but this lead, this is a good... So anyways, apologies to anyone who felt... slighted but oh uh, and I also I joked that I didn't watch the trial I did not watch every step of the trial I did not I really was trying to avoid it um but I did do a lot of reading so I know I joked about like being uninformed but you know we always try and do reading for the show um Leah's been on the show many t- times and Leah can attest that you guys get a lot of reading from me so <laughs> Oh my yeah so, uh, yeah. So anyways, that, that uh, I hope you don't think that I was trying to just like phone it in. All right, here we go.
2: I this don't next- think, can I just yeah. add something? Please, please. As a friend and a listener and somebody who knows you, I don't <laughs> yeah. think anybody thinks you try to phone it in. We all okay. know you deeply care <laughs> and you're very well read. And you, you really try to weigh out issues fairly. I just want to say <laughs> that very Thank you. That's quickly.
0: very nice. Thank you so much, Leah. Um, here we go. Well, we, for this topic, read a piece in the New York Times by Hélène Dubouton called um, Why You Will Marry the Wrong Person. And in the piece, Dubouton, like, I don't know how he pronounces it. it. doesn't matter. I'm probably butchering it. He basically talks about the history of marriage as first you know, there were marriages of reason, you know, that were kind of grounded in economics, like you married someone because you could, you had adjo- adjoining farms or they were the magistrate of the local government or something. Um, and that led, those marriages that you, of reason led to a lot of unhappiness. Then, we entered a a period of more recently in the 20th century where there were marriages of feeling, uh, where you kind of let romance guide you and love. And that also led to a lot of bad partnering and high rates of divorce. But um, the good news is, this is according to the piece, it doesn't matter if we have fined, we have married the wrong person. Now here is the hilarious central Kind of thesis of the whole piece. I'm just going to read it to you. I kind of laughed out loud during this. Again, don't mean to color your perception. Whatever you feel about this article, feel it and remember it after this statement. Choosing whom to commit ourselves to is merely a case of identifying which particular variety of suffering we would most like to sacrifice ourselves for. (laughs) So basically, marriage is all about like, what kind of suffering do you want? (laughs) Pick up. Yeah, yeah. Choose the partner that's going to give you that kind of suffering that you're willing to, like, live with. Uh, What did you make of this piece in this thesis?
1: I want to just start off with a little meta media thing, which is a a New York Times op-ed page. Uh, And I don't want to make any guesses about the marital status of the people who are editing that page, but they run a (laughs) lot of pieces that are basically about I'm totally miserable (laughs) and unhappy in my marriage. My spouse is human garbage but we're sticking it out because that's the greater good. Like to my mind, this is the third such piece in the last few months. It was first of this woman who um, uh, wrote about her, what, how awful her husband is. She can't stand even like his, like the noises that he makes. And he's like idiotic and traveling and describing a trip they took to Australia. And, but, but, but ending with, you know, but you know what? You know, like that's what marriage is, you gotta stick it out. And then I like, think two weeks ago that like this Anglican priest who's married to another Anglican priest. Uh, and I have to say, if you're an Anglican, your whole church is created so you can get a divorce. Like that's that, 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 but but The point of this article was like, you know, like, you know, well, we we went to before we got married, went to marriage counseling and they said the marriage counselor said, You guys should really think about this. This is not not good. And all our friends said, not good. And we're in our marriage and we can't really stand each other. But for the greater good, it makes the kids happy. And this is what life is about, learning to live with misery. And so this this piece that we are doing now from the philosopher, I mean, it's not personal. It's putting it in philosophical terms, but it's the same message. So I have to wonder, like, just as a media consumer, why is the New York Times, like, you know, like repeatedly putting through this message (laughs) that people have to, like, you know, um, uh, suffer in misery in marriages uh, for the sake of, and that's the best that we can hope for. It's a strange message.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do. Now all I can do is think about the editors of, of this, of the opinion section, because you're right. Like, why are we seeing so many of these pieces? Uh, Leah, what did you think? I love Jeet's take so much. Or are like, New York Times, why are you angry?
2: Um, it's so... <laughs> I did this, um, you know, it may be, you know, when I read things in order and I came out of the uh, Geico read, like upset at my insurance company. So I was already heated when I got to this (laughs) article. Um, but I immediately, I'm not against the idea that obviously relationships take work because that Mm -hmm. is very true. And the idea that everything's just going to be happy, it does not lead to, uh, good endings, you know? Um, and obviously people are going to have different ways of handling things. But when I read this, I was like, bro, this sounds like a you problem because this is not... (laughs) This is not a me problem. I will spend years in therapy, years in therapy before I found my partner. My partner is nothing like me because this guy says you find somebody who reflects your childhood. He is nothing like my childhood. You know what I mean? We we both are in therapy. We, uh, we're, uh, you know what I mean? The idea that there aren't people out there, I just found it to be like, I really got irritated by the time I was halfway through this I was like who are you don't talk to me this way <laughs> I would say some marriages don't work because people went in not knowing themselves not knowing their partner and maybe with false expectations yes but the idea that all of us are marrying the all wrong of us are, people yeah it's crazy I mean sorry buddy <laughs>
1: this is actually a generational thing like I feel like you know um, I read a lot of novels from uh, people who are born in the 20s and 30s like John Updike or Alice Monroe or Margaret Atwood and they often do describe this unhappy first marriage because they're of the generation where you kind of got married at 18, 19 you right, know.
0: right, right you're you're young you're an idiot yeah yeah,
1: yeah and then, then and by the time you're 30 or 40 you're a totally different person and you know like you go through this bitter divorce um Uh, So I feel like he's kind of describing that and I wouldn't be surprised if he's a little bit older because I do feel like now like, yeah, people generally know who they are much more like people are marrying later and they're usually have like, you know, a a wider set of experiences and relationships uh, before they're going through.
0: I mean, I, you know, by the time I married my husband, I had like reasoned with myself like, Nagin, you've seen a lot of dick. How much dick do you need to see <laughs> to know? You know what I mean? You've seen it all. And that's kind of, it, it was like, I, I felt like I had experienced everything that I needed to experience on a romantic front front to then be able to like comfortably settle down. And one of the things that he says in the piece is that this pessimism, this quote, pessimism relieves the excessive imaginative pressure that our romantic culture places upon marriage. And I, 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 I agree with parts of that sentence, which is that like, we do need, it's not, you know, rainbows and roses all the time, right? It's not like canoe rides. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's not gondola rides on the canals of Venice all the time. There is like D- uh, ups and downs and whatever and it's not pessimism that relieves the excessive imaginative pressure but it's realism right it's just like oh like i love this person we've had some really amazing times and i i realistically know that it's not always going to be like this like there's going to be you know an insurance battle we'll have to wage together and we might be <laughs> pissy towards one another during it there's going to be situation there's going to be who's going to take the kid to school there's going to be all these like re- you know things that have daily pressures that happen every day and so being realistic about those things and also just being willing to like have a it's funny like and nowhere in this piece did he talk about like um having like an open dialogue or like conversations like any kind of conversation with his partner you know what I mean like the obvious stuff that you kind of that makes a relationship successful he didn't talk about he mostly was just like look you're just gonna be miserable be open to that misery (laughs) like and that's the way marriage is and it's like it is it, it does feel like it was from a different generation but not even like it felt like it was like the 19th century. Yeah. I mean, yes.
2: And it also uh, felt like he was hitting that idea that um, we look to our partners to fulfill our happiness. And I feel like uh, so many of us have dealt with that in so many avenues of our life we realize oh other people can't make me happy things can't make me happy I have to figure that out for myself and I feel like this is clearly a man who's never been in therapy because um uh, you know this what this is the cornerstone of therapy and
0: <laughs> yeah it really and and also you know G, you talked about like people marrying young or whatever and I I always think about this thing that a friend of mine um you know, I, I had met her parents at her wedding or whatever, and they're really cute and they do a lot of stuff together. And they just were like this nice, like, you know, a couple senior citizens, like living life really well together. And, and I was like, oh, your parents are like so adorable. And she's like, yeah, it's interesting because I remember when I was little, they were not adorable. They, they weren't in a great marriage. And I remember my mom just m- made a decision that she was going to like figure it out and be happy about the, the marriage she was in and like work on it. And, and then I remember just like then starting to see a big change. So she sort of like was a woman who married young, they're Indian, you know, and they married young in the mother country or whatever, kind of moved to America, whatever, things changed here, people evolve, your idea, you get exposed to new ideas. And the idea that she was mostly exposed to was this idea of like me and my husband are going to like work on it. Right in a way that we can both be happy, which then led to a very happy marriage, uh, and so that's also something you know. Evolution, like it's like it, the way this guy talked about the stages of marriage, of like you know everything is horrible at every age in different ways. <laughs> <laughs> it's so it's like weird because people can evolve in a nice way as well. You know what I mean? Like it, you know. So I don't know.
2: Today is actually. Um, actually today, my parents 54th wedding anniversary. <gasps> Cute. And they work together and live together yeah. and their workspace is in our home. So oh. I mean, I feel like I was exposed very early to people working on, you know, their re- relationship. relationship and making it work and, you know, holding each other up and helping each other be, you know, they're very different people, but they function as a You know what I mean? So the idea that we wouldn't work at something as and as you said, that's not misery. That's just what it is.
0: Yeah, exactly. Gene, any final thoughts on marriage?
1: yeah, it, it is interesting. There's a comedy of the miserable marriage, which you see in like these weird comic strips that like only run in like small town newspapers, kind mm-hmm. of like the Lockrands. Oh, yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know if anybody has ever seen the locker and It's just like these couple that you know uh, he always calls her a battle axe, and she always says you're a drunk and an idiot. And so I feel like the one solution is the New York Times should just run that comic strip, and, <laughs> <laughs> and then they could. Uh, but 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 beyond that, I mean that sort of. So there's something. I have to admit kind of like amusing about this and that might be why they're running these columns because there's something, you know, we can kind of laugh at it. But on the, on the reverse side, it is like really bad advice to say you're doomed to be miserable uh, because there, there, there are different solutions. And one solution is just to leave an unhappy relationship and the other is to work at it. And so like to run a uh, not just once, not just twice, but three times, you know, like, like as the old saying goes, if you, you know, kill one of your parents, that's an accident. Two, there's a pattern, right? Like if you run yeah. through.
0: <laughs> then he, then
1: he wow,
0: no. you could have used any example what? there, but you went right to parent murder. Okay.
1: The point is, I think it's very bad advice to just say you're doomed to be miserable. I think people can actually work as you, know, as you both have said very eloquently, work at relationships. I think that's yeah. the bottom line.
0: And I think, Leah, I don't know, like just as a final thought here that like, In comedy, we've also seen this evolution because there was a time... I mean, you can... The other thing the New York Times can do besides running that one comic strip is running, like, archival footage of comedians from, like, the 70s and 80s that regularly refer to their wives as, like, balls and chains or whatever. And it now it's, like, such a... It's such a hack joke to, like, refer to your partner that way. Like, I feel like even in the last five years, I've seen an evolution about the way that people talk about their spouses. Like, it has kind of changed. And when you see the that it's still steeped in those old discourse, you know, that person isn't awesome. Like, you know,
1: <laughs> and
0: so and so even in, in even in popular culture, I feel like it's it's moving, at least in, in 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 the comedy that I see at the clubs. I mean, what do you think, Leah?
2: Oh, I love that point. I think it's so true. And I definitely like when I hear material where it's just somebody trashing their partner. Yeah. You're just like, what happened here? Why what? are you together? We, we don't have to do this anymore. Like right. you can get your own credit <laughs> yeah.
0: card. Find somebody you respect. You know what I mean? What's yeah, happening? exactly, exactly, exactly. All right, folks. Um, I don't know. I guess well, I well, are we? I don't. I'm not even sure. I, am I recommending reading this piece, while then maybe just laughing at it, or possibly disliking it very much? Uh, that might be what I'm recommending. It did make me laugh out loud at certain points because it seems so like ridiculous so check it out let me know what you think uh i'm so curious to hear but what i would really love as we wrap up the show and you guys have been just so delightful so fun so knowledgeable so smart uh i want the people of fake the nation to be able to follow you and all the wonderful things that you do leah Bonama, where do they do that
2: um we could check out uh, the podcast that i co-host it's were you raised by wolves and that's on all the pot whatever you listen to your podcasts on. Um, and uh, I'm on Instagram and all the socials at Leah Bonima. And then also, you know, I'm just going to do a shout out to my parents. Happy anniversary. And thanks for being great role models on how to have a loving, respectful relationship, because apparently there are people out there that are very angry and I'm glad I wasn't exposed to that
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah happy anniversary to the bonamas um gee where do people find you
1: well, also, yes, happy anniversary. And uh, <laughs> um, I, I think the easiest way is to through the Nation magazine, where I have a column and the podcast, although the podcast can also be found wherever they are podcasts. The name is The Time of Monsters. Uh, and also, I've been known to tweet occasionally. At here, Jeet, my name reversed. Uh, and yeah, people can find me all over the place.
0: Um, Definitely. Subscribe to both of these podcasts. Do some binge listening. Catch up um, because they're both so delightful. And folks, you know where to find me on all the stuff that I do. I also want to remind you that I'm going to be in Salt Lake City on June 20. Fifth, 4th? (laughs) Damn it, I always... 4th, June 24th. I always forget this date. And I'm going to be in Denver on June 25th doing the Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me um, stand-up comedy tour show. If you are in either of those towns, um, I hope you come out and see the show. I think it's going to be really fun. It's going to be me and Mo Rocca and Helen Hong and Alonzo Bowden. And uh, we're just... We're going to do some comedy for you all. So it'll be a good time. And what I would really love to do is thank all of the wonderful people who make this show happen. That's our fantastic producer, our fantastically new producer, Andrew McGuire. Fire. Welcome to the show, Andrew. We're so excited to have you. Our, oh, just continuously fantastic sound engineer, Stephanie Aguilar. Thanks to everyone at HeadGum uh, for making the show a possibility. And Gabi Alter wrote our theme music. Uh, and, oh, don't forget to write us at fake the nation at headgum.com where um, you can give us ideas for panelists, um, ideas for segments, um, you just ideas for ideas, you know, whatever you want to email us. And, and don't forget, we're still doing races to watch i didn't do a segment this week but uh you know we'll be back at it next week please let us know i last time i asked you guys to send me who are your uh, state of se- secretary of state uh elections because those are the people that run elections in your state so like let's hear about those i've gotten a couple of emails i'm looking for more of those uh and otherwise oh yeah patreon.com slash nagin farsad to join the patreon and otherwise we will be back in your earballs next week